Oh, I remember when you were reading this. I am looking forward to reading other bits, the rest of this book. Yeah. Other bits yeah, yeah. of this book. Me too. The longer bit. Some more Mike Davis in general. This was the shorter bit. We, we chose the shortest uh, chapter. <laughs> <laughs> surprise, surprise. <laughs> This is a very short story, okay. but when I went back home most recently, um, left the airport, and as soon as I got out of the airport in a car, the first thing that I saw was someone with a bumper sticker that said, I miss Ronald Reagan. <laughs> <laughs> and this presumably, presumably um, was referencing uh, the current president of the United States, uh-huh. President Donald Trump, and them missing the old Republican Party. I see. The old Republican Party. Um, which was just, just, just pure virtue in its purest form. <laughs> virtue in its purest form, and I think as we'll see in today's reading, um, you know, uh, something that we should all be pining for, something completely different than this. Sure, kind of like yeah, yeah, yeah. The last four years have been an aberration, a historic <laughs> aberration, aberration, like no other. For our beautiful there, Republican there is, Party, <laughs> it has absolutely no correlation or resonance with anything that's happened in history. Absolutely, because we all know things can happen that are ahistorical and don't have any bearing sure. or relationship. To sure, events. exactly. <laughs> Um, and one of those things would be Donald Trump, because there's never been a president to come out of the entertainment industry. So <laughs> disgusting. Uh, just a Hollywood freak um, and just a complete aberration, as you say. Um, so before we kind of do our little preamble and kind of check in with each other and everything, um, I would just like to read a quick quote from what we will be reading today. And we'll get to what that is later. Where the fuck is it? Hang on. I'm going to have to cut all this out. I circled it. <laughs> Where the fuck did it go? Exactly. Here we I go. I wouldn't lose it. <laughs> I made <mean>, certain idiot. <laughs> um, so we'll start this off by talking about the whole about, thing again. Shall we? <laughs> yes, we'll go again. Um, by talking about our beautiful boy, taken from us too soon, Ronald Reagan. Um, shame. He was one of the best. Um, like I said, virtue in its purest form. So the author that we'll be reading this week, um, pretty early on in the essay that we read, starts his discussion of Ronald Reagan off like this. Again, virtue in its purest form. This was written in 1987. And uh, for those those listeners who don't know, Ronald Reagan, governor of California before he was president of the United States. This is the sentence that he uses to start it off. He says, almost 20 years have passed since Ronald Reagan was catapulted into the governor's mansion in San Francisco by a wave of uh, anti-student, anti-black reaction. Now, hang on, that might... I don't think that's the right quote. Hang on, let me find the right quote. Okay, so here's the one where the <laughs> author this, here's the one where the author actually talks about you know again virtue purest form Ronald Reagan how he managed this beautiful man who the Republican Party Dan that we we miss that we yeah, love yeah, yeah, that we yeah, pine yeah, for yeah, yeah. Uh, he goes through and he Re- lists return to the decent normalcy normalcy yeah. that's what we're looking for <laughs> just just a normal just, just normal, normal we just want normal folks just a normal polity forget all this communism we just want normal. <laughs> 
Um, so he lists some of the groups, some of the beautiful men and women who supported Ronald Reagan's <laughs> run for presidency. So he says, um, featured his campaign featured an unprecedented array of interlocking organizations and constituencies ranging from uh oh, this might not be good. Law and order interest groups, Americans for Effective Law Enforcement, and the NRA. What? All right, I don't know about that. Mm -hmm. New Cold War lobbies, the American Security Council, politicized fundamentalism, Jerry Falwell's moral majority. I don't know, Dan. This isn't sounding like the Reagan that I remember. Hang on, he what continues. Falwell like a white supremacist? <laughs> yeah. Wait a minute, Ray. My Reagan, Dan, was not a white supremacist. Please. He continues. Okay, now we're getting into some of the good ones. Um, Anita Bryant's anti-gay rights campaign. Hang on. Phyllis Schlafly's, <laughs> I love that name, anti-ERA eagle form. The Right to Life crusade. Hang on. Pro-Cold War, anti-busing, anti-abortion. Um, new right politics based on Goldwater. I'm beginning to think this guy sounds was like so a, great. Yeah, sounds like a, a familiar <laughs> assortment of deplorables. It, <laughs> deplorables. Wow, there it is. The word of the day. All right, we're t today we're talking about just the world's worst person. We're talking about Ronald Reagan um, and his consortium of uh, knuckle-dragging uh, fools that bought him yeah, into power. Who, oh, yeah, who also were <laughs> the most uh, tactically astute, Very uh, tactically intelligent astute. political operators of a generation. Absolutely. <laughs> also fools. But. Also fools. Also scum-sucking, knuckle-dragging, yeah, yeah, yeah. um, disgusting people. But before we get into that, welcome. welcome. Auxiliary Statements. I'm Jack. I'm Dan. Welcome uh, back. Welcome back. Thank you for being here. Thank you for being here. How are you doing, Dan? I'm all right. Oh. It's uh, Noam Chomsky Day. <laughs> What's that mean? Uh, well, I mean, I, I, I think <laughs> it's explicitly a joke. Uh, well, explicitly a, a thing from um, the movie Captain Fantastic. Do you ever watch the movie Captain Fantastic? I watched the first twenty minutes. Yeah, I, 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 I yeah, it was. I guess it's bad. It was fine. Like... I've only, I've just sort of adopted the name Noam Chomsky Day um, for the day every year when Facebook is filled with pictures and articles about Noam Chomsky, and I am like, oh, Noam Chomsky's finally died. <laughs> Oh my god. And I'm like, oh no, it's just his birthday. <laughs> oh, okay. Wow, it's his birthday. So today is Noam Chomsky's 94th, I think. Holy crap. Birthday. Wow. Happy birthday, Noam um, Chomsky. He's, he outlived he's Buckley. Just, he's, he's, he outlived Reagan. He's just waiting for Kissinger to die. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Whoever dies first, that movement I mean, will be doomed to fail. I'll yeah, yeah, right yeah. yeah. That, I mean, that's the definitive moment which, you know, forget, <laughs> forget all of this kind of like... Um, dark timeline sort of like <laughs> parallel timeline thing i mean that's this that's the dividing split yeah which indeed. sends us in in which trajectory indeed. the future will hold i will say kissinger looking more and more like his body is just decomposing and you know like when when like dead things decompose their like bellies fill with gas yeah. it looks like he's about to float away yeah. like his belt buckle when you see photos of him sitting down as he always does because he's like <laughs> a million years old like points up it's so crazy um, i didn't i i um yesterday as i periodically do looked up is jeffrey kissinger still alive jeffrey is it what's his name henry henry, henry kissinger <laughs> is kissinger still alive um and to yes. my, dis my discovered yes, <laughs> and I suppose I must also, as frequently, periodically, as I look up whether he's still alive, mm. I must also repress the answer to that question, because I always have to look it up again. <laughs> uh, I didn't look very closely at any pictures, although on Wikipedia uh, there is a picture of him sitting next to Donald Trump. Um, oh, so yeah, to to oh. to um, 
Two men. Shambling. <laughs> corpse-like men. Two corpse-like men. <laughs> um, it sounds like, if I was an uneducated listener, like you're rooting for Noam Chomsky to die and that you're excited that Kissinger's They're still, still alive. alive. <laughs> I'm glad that all our, all our listeners all, are educated. All our listeners know. All yeah, our all listeners, listeners know. already know. The real heads know that we're yeah, waiting yeah, for Kissinger yeah, to die. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, um, there you go. We also hit 10 followers subscribers Did we? on soundcloud there it is we're like, <laughs> like like that's the only metric i'm really interested in so yes. if you're one of the ten the elect thank you well i'm one of the ten so one of the nine <laughs> i'm elect, not <laughs> um you, you are no you're all you're all my favorite listeners and i love you all but really nice. those those nine those nine yeah, yeah, yeah. the nine yeah, the nine, the nine. <laughs> oh, that's, that's something there's that the lord of the rings reference yeah. here we go first one of the day um thank you guys for that um how are you I'm doing very well, actually. Uh, done with work for at least a few days, which is nice. And nice. what else? Weather update, still cold. Still cold. Broadbean update, still nothing. Still no broadbeans. Um, yeah, I'm doing pretty good. Um, who am I rooting for to die? Um, maybe, I suppose... Rooting. Just wait. <laughs> just wait. Patiently, <laughs> patiently waiting. waiting. Perhaps patiently by the waiting. time this comes out, Giuliani will already be dead. I doubt it. Yeah. Because he, uh, he does have the COVID, folks. Uh-huh. Um but <laughs> the latest the latest that's yeah, yeah. this is the, the the only covid news that matters <laughs> um i don't think i'm rooting for him to die though cuz no. he's just a, it's just too much fun he is just way too much fun way too his suits his just his, general demeanor his sweat leaking his brain leaking he's just i just love it whenever he's in the news is uh Ponchon for holding preferences outside of the <laughs> garden centers. That was that was ballsy. That was cool. I'm a fan of that. Um, that's that. Intro. There complete. we are. There we are. We're still here. We're still here. Carrying on. Carrying on. Still cold. Um, no beans. Why is it the sixth? So we're about two weeks off the solstice now. I believe it's the seventh. Hmm. It's the seventh. Two weeks off the solstice. Is it Pearl Harbor Day? Or is that the ninth? I don't know. When did Pearl Harbor? Is it, is that, does it presumably ninth. that <laughs> not commemorates memorializes memorial yeah. the attack yeah. on Pearl Harbor? Yeah, I suppose either or. Okay, um, okay. I don't know. Is it a national holiday or? I don't think it's a holiday. No. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think. That. I don't know. You guys, you, every other week there's a national it, holiday. Is there any? Uh, what's the word? Um, truth to <laughs> the belief that FDR knew that it was going to happen? Do you think? Mm. I have no idea. Oh, okay. I've heard people of the likes of Dan Carlin give it, like, maybe it did happen. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And it's like, Reliable well, sources. Reliable sources, such as, yeah, where I get all my history news from. Uh-huh. Oh, right. I was thinking about George Carlin. Not, Who's well, Dan Carlin? He's a podcaster. Fellow podcaster. Fellow we podcaster. We go way back. Hardcore history. Okay. Yeah. One of the uh, I mean, the I'm, I'm sure George Carlin thought that it was. <laughs> Potentially. Potentially. Yeah, yes. we'll get there. We'll do some reading. We'll um, open the files. Do some more reading. <laughs> uh, like in, um, did you ever see the second national treasure? Mm. You know, at the end where the president's so. like, I need your help with something. And it's it's supposed to imply that he's like going to tell them about the aliens or something like that. Uh-huh. And Nicolas Cage is like, we'll see what I can do. <laughs> was there a national treasure three? Was there? I don't think so. I don't, know. I don't think so. I, don't I know, know they promised it and it never happened. Ugh. Just one, just another tally in the long line of disappointments. <laughs> Um this is the second time we've They cared at all about art. Yeah. Making meaningful art. Yeah. Yeah. National Treasure. National Treasure Three folks. Does National Treasure, you think, make our social relations more valid in an ideological sense or less valid? 
I suppose the whole like Declaration of Independence fetishizing is kind of lame, sure, but they did yeah, steal yeah. it and rub, like rub lemon rub juice it. on it. Yeah. So <laughs> that's pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, I suppose it is sort of like um, it's de- defacing the surface appearance to reveal the uh, the inner truth, the truth, so. <laughs> which is like Whatever all, the of, words, these, all of these founding fathers were like homies. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because yeah. mm. they, um, yeah, they were writing for our future age. Yes, not their, uh, not. Yes, their, exactly. <laughs> um, we could steal the Declaration of Independence if any, if anybody in any sort of law enforcement is listening. We won't, but we could. Yeah, I've seen it before. Have you really? Yeah, I think I can do I saw it. Saw a copy of the Magna Carta, I think once. Really, the like actual oh a copy you just. Said. I think there are well, I say copy. I think there are several. Mm copies that date from I think I've seen that I've seen then. one of them there's one in the American Capitol building I think really could be wrong huh. I think so don't um, know why <laughs> we got one forgetting where the one that I saw was I don't think maybe I didn't see it I don't know <laughs> maybe I imagined it I just wanted I just wanted to just wanted to have a similar yeah. anecdote as you you went, you went back immediately your parents were like to little Dan they're like look it's a copy of the Magna Carta and you're like I'm looking up whether Kissinger is dead <laughs> it's no Chomsky day where did I put my lemon juice <laughs> Um, I wonder under what context we would ever read any Noam Chomsky to just like, like, because the context would be like, not super interested in kind of like his kind of like political beliefs in terms of like anarchism or whatnot. But I think it would just be interesting as like a cultural phenomenon. We should read some anarchists, Hmm. but I wouldn't start with him. Sure. I'd like to read some Bookchin, I think. Bookchin, yeah, we should read some Bookchin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's one of those, one of those... um, one of those memes. Yeah, one of those memes. Google Murray Bookchin. <laughs> Is that right? No, Google, really. could be. Sounds look funny. Him up, look him up, folks. Look him up. We're bringing um, him back. He is someone you would not want to sit next to in a bar. <laughs> <laughs> it would just be like, whoa, okay, who's this guy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> mm. um, yeah Noam Chomsky. Mm. We could read some linguistics. That would but be I interesting. I think there are, probably, mm. there are probably linguists I'd be more interested in reading. People have visceral reactions to Noam Chomsky as a person, obviously, but also to his linguistics, and I've never understood it. I've yeah. like bought him up to a couple people who are like language people, and they either go, uh, yeah. genius, <laughs> totally reinvented language in the way we think about it, or they just go, eh. Yeah, oh, it's, it's, he's a polarizing character in yeah. the field of linguistics. Yeah, I don't know. I um, I mean, innate linguistics, innate innate grammar, is that his thing? Like, no um, idea. Uh, I th- I'm just going to make something up. All right, here we go. Uh, happy Noam Chomsky Day. I think my... Uh, yeah, happy birthday, Noam Chomsky. <laughs> Many happy returns. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, he's still trying to work out how to get close enough to kiss him. Just... <laughs> to shank him. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, yeah, I think it's meant to just be the case that, like, um, there is a propensity towards grammar that's all sort of hard written into human brain biology kind of thing oh so i think there's meant to be like a is he saying is he in favor of that or is he that's his that, yeah that's really that, i think that's his, that what i mean that was his position when he was writing about linguistics in whatever the 60s or 70s yeah. wasn't it? Jesus. um he i mean he adamantly reckons he adamantly claims that his linguistic theories have nothing to do with political theory okay although like <laughs> it's quite hard not to see the parallels between uh, imagining an, an innate language structure between all the human beings and that making you more inclined to sort of like mm. uh, be sort of a humanistic anarchist mm. uh, in, internationalist sure. uh, like, and, but, 
I was about to comment on know. that. I don't, just, I don't know. I don't know. But my 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 historic animosity to um, <laughs> humanism and <laughs> theories of innateness and human nature mm. um, have led me to have a, also a historic animosity toward certain aspects of um, Chomskyism <laughs> and the Chomskyan canon. Yeah. But so, um, but I'm 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 a evolving being, hmm. and so as maybe. the discourse evolves, so do we. I guess. I suppose. So. Does that, does suppose that make so. sense? I suppose so. Um, anyway, today we're reading Noam Chomsky's On Anarchism. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, today, Dan, we are reading an essay from the classic Mike Davis book. That's why I pitched it on Twitter. Classic, classic. Mike Davis book. Uh, Prisoners like of the American Mike Dream. Like all Mike Davis books. Hmm? They're yeah. all classics. They're, They're all, all instant classics. classics. Instant classics. Yeah. Hit the bookshelf, sell a million copies. Um Yes, we're reading from Prisoners of the American Dream, which is a collection, like a lot of Mike Davis's stuff, um, of essays that are kind of like reformatted to be a coherent kind of like narrative. Um, and this one is part history, labor history of America, of the United States, um, and the kind of like the intersectionality of politics and economy, right? And then the latter half is because he was writing a lot of these in the mid to late 80s. This, I think, was... Um, the essay that we're reading, which is The New Rights Road to Power, um, was published in 1987 or was written in 1987, so um, towards the latter half of uh, Reagan's presidency. And so, yeah, like I said, we're reading The New Rights Road to Power, and this is all about him kind of after he's done a big, in-depth historical take on labor strength in the United States, he's taking a closer look at um, the new what he calls the new right, which um, is kind of Maybe what we've begun to call Reaganism, or we what we used to call Reaganism, maybe, mm-hmm. and now kind of seems, now that we've kind of gotten through the bushes, kind of seems relatively indistinguishable in a number of ways from what Trump did. Um, but we'll get into that. Um, how'd you find it? I thought it was fascinating. It was really excellent, uh, really well written. Um, I was initially worried because when you read a, a history. Mm. From a that is also written in a yeah in a historic t- in a different <laughs> time in a historic age, the heady heady days of the mid eighties. Yeah, Pat um, Benatar was. Praying, it's easy baby. to wor- It's easy to worry that like um, uh, you're given you're being given analysis that has perhaps been proven incorrect with the sure. sort of historic um, the development of history thereafter. Mm. Um, but I, I think what what's made apparent by this is and and is quite how pivotal and important a moment this is. And really, this is a history of um, the 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 various sort of like machinations of the various camps of American capital and how they've attempted to uh, capture the various American uh, the well the the two American political parties, but mostly with an emphasis on the Republican Party in this case. Totally. Um, so it's a re- it's very concise but very broad, um, and weaves a very compelling narrative. And I feel very much more uh, elucidated and educated, um, but uh, both about the structure of American capitalism to some extent, um, and then also speaking to my initial hesitance towards this text, thinking it might be historically dated. Like as you were just suggesting, like so much of um, what's being described in relation to the rise of this phenomenon of the new right and that eventually culminated in the the first and then second Reagan presidential victories in 80 and 84 um, 
so familiar to what we now think of as being republicanism in 100%. general kind of thing um so such a sort of p pivotal trajectory and um and yeah one that you can very easily i mean obviously like there's a lot of parallels to be drawn with trumpism to some extent mm. um but in terms of like the the how the republican party have organized um and their connection to special interests like the ones that you read out um <laughs> and how they continue to this day um mm. yeah 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 um, yeah, it's interesting because I want to be careful of, I guess, drawing too many parallels, but there are some that are just like so obvious and in yeah, your face. Yeah, it's a difficult one, isn't it? Like, mm -hmm. how much does how much do you focus on the repetition of history, and how much do you focus on the specificity? And I mean, I, I suppose yeah. you you we come back and forth between the two kind of thing. Yeah, well, I think um, definitely Dan and I were saying definitely reminded of the classic uh, quote: uh, first time as tragedy second time as farce because a lot of this just seems like a lot of the guys who were involved in reagan's campaign were like smart cookies to, yeah, yeah, you know yeah, yeah, yeah. uh yeah but, i mean there um, is a there is a tragedy as farce element to this in terms of um goldwater and then absolutely Reagan. so absolutely, like we've, yeah. th this book also uh contains mm. some of that sort of like maybe it's just all farce yeah, yeah maybe it's just farce all the way down i don't know oh, <laughs> we just have to, we, that's what we're doing just digging through the muck of history to find the original tragedy <laughs> Original sin. Continued yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> original sin, original tragedy. Yeah. Um, I like this line. So Davis begins, the Davis is a California guy. Um, I think he's from LA. This is why I thought this book might really appeal to you. The, yeah. What we might focus on, we might, there was a risk that we might spend the entire podcast just like complaining about California. Yeah. Or you might spend the entire podcast. <laughs> um, it's interesting. We spend a little while, a little yeah. while. Definitely a little while. Um, it's interesting because I guess, yeah, Davis was the first person that I read I think that kind of set me on the path to becoming like a capitalist socialist and not just like a kind of like a Bernie dude you mm -hmm. know what I mean a Bernie bro some might say um, because I think like a lot of what I read in him just being interested in like maybe I should know a little bit about like labor history and stuff he his writing style is kind of reminiscent of Ellen Meekson's Wood I think in a way that he sets out the way he sets out his arguments and stuff but it's very very granular I think because we were reading Ellen Mason's Wood and she was writing at a time where, you know, there wasn't as much available. But he is writing at a time where he just, you know, every paragraph is packed full of, like, proof of what yeah, he's Yeah, yeah, it's wonderfully about. structured, isn't it? I was yeah. saying before we started, but it's kind of like there is this sort of declaratory paragraph. Something mm -hmm. happened. Yeah. And then there's a series of paragraphs where everything's sort of, like, numbered, or at least it's first, second, third, fourth. Here are all my evidences for why this transformation happened. And then mm -hmm. it's like, here are the consequences of this sort of <laughs> pivotal transformation. And then you get another, and then it's just the next pivotal transformation. Yeah. Pivotal, pivotal moment. And like, totally. Um, and mm -hmm. very concisely written and mm. well formatted and laid out yeah. but uh, but there's some excellent, excellent uses of language yeah zingers uh, some zingers he, des <laughs> he describes the barry goldwater campaign as a jihad come presidential <laughs> campaign which, I, which resonated with me quite, quite a lot. and there was another one toward the end maybe we can find it later but yeah. there's a whole a whole series of just like and even sort of more eloquent and drawn out passages that are just, just yeah just, just excellent and like um with a writer with the caliber of Davis's, like, and his sort of the sense you get of his grasp on history and events, mm. like, um, everything sort of references to other things. And yeah, like, I don't know. Do you know much about uh, Mike Davis as a person? My under yeah, a understanding bit. of it's like somebody who came out of the labor movement totally worked, yeah, um, 
was a, an, a, an organic intellectual of the working class kind of thing mm. and, and an autodidact somebody who sort of like educated uh, yeah. himself on these topics to some extent Does I he, think he has at least I mean least I'm not going to fault degree. him for having a university <laughs> education <laughs> like. what were we saying about glasses last time <laughs> um, no I think he has at least one degree from UCLA maybe two um, so he is you know smart dude sure yeah but yeah, um, yeah I yeah like I was saying LA guy I think he might now be based in San Diego so Southern California I think for most of his life Definitely involved in some um, labor movements. I think fairly typical of just like kind of like his um, age, maybe a bit older than some baby boomers, he, I think. He wrote a book on pandemics prior yes, to this pandemic, he did. did he? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah. also, uh, mm. yeah. Mm. Yeah. Um, but yeah, really good. Like you were saying about the zingers, I got one here where he... Hit me. He, <laughs> he starts it out by basically saying, this is in his introduction to the essay, he says, um, it will basically what he's doing talking about the rise of the new right he says it will necessarily entail a consideration of political technologies and modes of mobilization that have so singularly favored the rise of this new right coalition shaping a political arena incomparably more congenial to conservative populism than to social democracy like many other a tawdry tale in american culture this one begins in southern california <laughs> dun, 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 love it um and it's, it's quite interesting as well because not only it started in California, but like with a series of um, political rules and laws changes, which seemingly quite progressive, presumably mm. spearheaded by like yeah. sort of progressive forces. And but yeah. quite a lot of this is like progressive changes that were capitalized on far better by the right than 100%. by the center of its left kind of thing. Yeah. So I think yeah, <clears throat> let's let's do what he does, where he gives a little bit of a background of Californian political history because he makes the point that like you know, that kind of like zinger line about like the Tantra tales coming out of California. Um, he brings up um, cities of Delano, which was um, very pivotal in the late 60s and early 70s, going through the 80s and like farm workers labor movements, um, Chavez and all those guys. Um, he brings up Watts with just the um, uh, racial unrest um, with all the black residents there. The Watts, Watts riots of the yeah. 60s. Watts is a place. Yeah, in I, can, LA. I never yeah, know yeah. whether riots are named after people or places. <laughs> yeah, it's a place. Um, kind of, yes, uh, there's that. And then there's also Orange County, which is like Reagan uh, Ground Zero, Nixon Ground Zero 101, right? Um, I mean, Nixon replaced in his, I think, first political uh, act of his career, replaced a like ardent New Dealer in um, LA and Orange County to become, you know, like the Nixon that we all know and love, anti-labor, just kind of generally a jerk. Um, funny story. He did not, apparently he did not want to run for office because he was a lawyer and he was like, I'll just make more money being a lawyer than I would be a, a congressman. And um, a bunch of like robber baron California guys got together because the guy that he replaced was like talking about nationalizing oil industries mm -hmm. and stuff like that. They got together and they were like, okay, we need to make it worth this you know nixon's wild to run so they basically pooled a bunch of their money gave him their money for his campaign really? basically gave him the money but the weird thing is that the place that they all got together is the hotel that i used to work at in high school <laughs> which is horrifying to think at to think of um you've been in the plotting room you've been in the plotting room yeah more like the commanders what, 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 so you may have just said and i didn't hear what was mm -hmm. his role in californian politics this is oh, reagan's he was oh sorry was nixon or, i mean yeah sorry nixon, nixon was nixon, a congressperson yeah, congressperson yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, son of a gun, that guy. But yes. But it's, yeah, no wonder he... I mean, later on, his narrative arc in this book is kind of one of betraying yeah. the forces that would come to represent the, the totally. right kind of thing. Totally. Um, 
I'm just going to read. I wonder why they were so aggrieved, perhaps. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I'm going to read a bit of a long quote. It's two paragraphs, so stick with me here. But this one will just kind of sum up the a brief history of kind of California's uh, political trajectory and how that kind of shaped the rest of the country. And I think you will see, dear listener, by the end, that it is very pertinent to our times. <clears throat> so Davis says... The next stage in California's political revolution occurred in 1934 with the celluloid power of Hollywood was mobilized by Louis B. Mayer to defeat Upton Sinclair's radical epic and poverty in California movement to win the gubernatorial election. Uh, I'm just going to stop right there immediately. Debate and gubernatorial? No, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I never know about that? that. Did you know that uh, Upton Sinclair ran? I should know. I, I, do, I, do, I don't know who Upton Sinclair is. Oh, he wrote The Jungle. And he was like a socialist because like The Jungle was like this book all about like the Chicago meatpacking industry and how they were just like horrifically gross practices and labor practices going on there about like people getting their fingers chopped off and they put it in the sausages stuff okay, like that okay. and so it was like he was a socialist and it was this big movement after that book came out to like change uh working oh i see kind of like and so that's so in this instance he was campaigning in california for for an end poverty or a he series was, of policies to who's running for governor on oh, that right. platform okay, okay, yeah okay, which okay. i didn't know and louis b mayer the guy who's quote-unquote like defeated he didn't defeat him. Someone else won. But it was Louis B. Mayer's money. That's Louis B. Mayer of Metro Golden Mayer, okay. which is crazy. So, yeah, wow, media. That will come up a lot in this discussion. <laughs> I mean, it's difficult. Like, every, uh, there's a lot of names in this book, mm. and a lot of them I don't recognize. But the ones that I do, I re recognize as some of the worst villains of American <laughs> politics. So there's no... that. So I may have just, like, read a name. Oh, they're probably, yeah. probably yeah, a villainous yeah. character. But, yeah, uh, uh, I did not know that. That's so highlighted. crazy. Um, so anyway, he continues. He says, at about the same time, meaning 1934, Whitaker and Baxter, or also known as, I love this, Campaigns Incorporated, that's just an <laughs> evil company, as they were also called, um, became the first public relations firm in the world to specialize in professional campaigns management. I mean, I feel like right there, that's huge, right? Sure, yeah, just yeah, this yeah. idea of like a PR firm as opposed to like a party. Not Maybe not like running a campaign, but like designing a campaign mm -hmm. is huge, mm -hmm. right? And mm -hmm. I mean, like the... Uh, consequences of that yeah obvious. i mean a whole whole seg segment of the narrative of this book is basically like um how the control of the selection of candidates for various offices mm. were taken away in various ways divorced from party structures totally, and yeah. made something which could be independent of that of the party kind of thing mm. um could find its own financing could find its own uh publicity kind of thing yeah um could find its own sort of democratic route uh, rather than sort of smoke-filled black room yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> dealing route to New England boys yeah, from yeah, Boston yeah, yeah. Ugh. Ugh. Um, so yeah he continues they were so successful meaning uh, Whitaker and Baxter are campaigns incorporated in blocking Governor Earl Warren's health insurance legislation of the 1940s that they were later hired by and cue evil music here the American Medical Association <laughs> To organize the largest peacetime advertising campaign in history to defeat Truman's National Compulsory Health Insurance Program. It's so not hardening at all to know that that's like still what progressives are yeah, fighting yeah, for in America. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 80 like years ago, the campaign years. against, the campaign against or the campaign for, the working for and the campaign against uh, yeah. um, anything resembling an even sort of like semi-humane yeah. uh, healthcare system in america is still an ongoing thing kind of thing so bad uh, but now yeah there you go if you ask you ever ask yourself the question why doesn't america have a you know, comprehensive healthcare system a lot of it has to do specifically with the american medical association yes yeah yeah they, they knew quite early to 
how to do it. Where, where, yeah, where, 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 to, where to butter their bread. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Horrible. Or whose who's palms to cross with. Uh, with butter. With butter. <laughs> <laughs> and bread. Horrible when you picture Truman as a progressive. That's when things were bad. Yes. Not a great dude. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, oh, I see what you mean. Yeah. 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 Um, meanwhile, Robinson and Company of San Francisco again, cue uh, evil music for San Francisco, just kidding, um, had virtually transformed the initiative and referendum processes into a private monopoly, claiming in 1949 to have masterminded 95% of all such votes over the previous 30 years, which if that's true, that's insane. Robinson guaranteed to qualify any initiative for the ballot which would require at least a quarter of a million signatures for $75,000. Moreover, this pioneer predecessor of, remember this name, Richard Vigory, and the political direct mail industry also offered direct mail to all of California's 5 million voters for another $180,000. I mean, like, I know that this is like a long time ago and that would be a lot more money, but it's so funny. That just doesn't sound like much money at all. Yeah. It's like, we'll, get, we'll make you win the ballot for 75 grand. Yeah, <laughs> yeah there's a point later on where they were talking about campaign financing donations yeah. and like, $500 is the big benchmark <laughs> for how much would be a significant amount of money to donate to a presidential campaign. Yeah, it's like, oof. <laughs> um, okay, so I'll finish it up real quick. He says, this the vaunted progressive system of direct democracy proved in practice to be an almost ideal instrument for the perpetuation of California's ruling groups, for the power of the ruling groups. Having largely supplanted the formal ability of party bosses to broker nominations or dispense patronage, the emergent system of California politics opened the way for any group of wealthy backers to attempt to valorize some celebrity commodity as political capital. What a sentence. The perfect candidate no longer needed to be found in a log cabin. He could be manufactured on a Hollywood set. Mm -hmm. We did it, baby. Uh, I know yeah, I said, like, skipping over the bushes, but, like, same thing with the bushes. Like, they yeah, were totally yeah. manufactured personalities, obviously. I mean, same with Obama, same with Clinton. <laughs> you know, yeah. yeah, I mean, I, um, I mean, so much of that is, like, just basically the privatization of various aspects of American politics and, like, mm -hmm. um, how you can use superior financing and superior PR and uh, superior sort of broadcast power to sort of, like, yeah. orchestrate whatever scenario you want. And particularly, like, something that ought to be really progressive, right? Like, um, an initiative, what do we call it, initiative and ballots, like a, a, a system for uh, popular triggering of referenda. Um, it's just fake. Just, yeah, totally, totally, <laughs> a, totally a way to um, sort of like contrive what contri contrive a seemingly democratic uh, mandate toward public policy change, which was basically just being bought by yeah. uh, whoever could afford it. Kind yeah. Of thing. And it, and it goes on. Yeah, goes on still. Totally, yeah. and yeah, I mean now it's with social media. Right? Yeah, wasn't I mean, what was the what was the big one in California this year? There was a um, there was an effort. Yeah, there was an effort to have gig workers be classified as workers. workers yeah, yeah, sure. Seems like uh, a gimme. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and there was a massive campaign against it, and it was defeated right as a referendum. Um, was it defeated or was it passed in the sense that? Um, oh no! Oh, so so yeah, yeah. So it was. Yeah. It, it so it's even worse than my. Yeah. My like the the question that was being asked yeah. was a question that was being set by exactly the tech industry to get people to acquiesce to whatever, however the tech industry wants to treat. It's uh, it's yeah. it's workers. It's yeah, minions. Yeah, 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 yeah. So disgusting. They literally had like people pass like workers passing out like you know anti-workers yeah yeah they made, they made the they made their workers sort of propagate that yeah, yeah it's just like yeah, yeah. that's low yeah, even yeah. For when, these... when, when you when you i was about to say employ but they probably yeah. weren't like 
they, they well, would they like probably, that <laughs> when you when you force your employees to sort of propagate ideas that are directly against yeah. their own self-interest yeah. when you allegedly employ your employees <laughs> allegedly um, employ your contract workers yeah um but yeah yeah, yeah. so yeah and like then I also said, there's the there's the one of the other changes that he talks about in californian politics which which um took over nationwide um and has led to this this position of the ability to manufacture uh, politicians sort of outside of the sort of democratic political structure is changes in like um how primaries worked was mm, california yeah. was one of the first states to move away from caucusing mm. or choose selecting candidates at um national conventions and to move toward directly democratic mm. means is that right and yeah. also there was something in the book about like registered democrats voting in republican primaries yeah, and Republican kind of voting. Is, yeah. is that something that you can still that's still the case um, i'm actually not too sure if that's how it still works um i think Ah, yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, ass, so much but... of this is like there's another that's another example of a sort of like what seemingly quite a positive democratic uh, exactly. process and progress, which was actually I don't know whether it was always intended to, but it was always it ended up being sort of bent to serve the will of mm. um, I don't money. know who who yeah money exactly yeah. whomever it is that's behind mm. uh, selecting the perfect presidential or gubernatorial candidate yeah. um, and whatever interests they seek to have them serve kind of thing yeah um, yeah it's funny because i was i was thinking a lot thank of, you california progressives for yeah. uh, ruining america, for ruining politics. america. <laughs> bastards um yeah because i was thinking, always knew it always knew it the coastal elites <laughs> deep down uh, coastal elites i mean it is the coastal elites yeah, yeah, if it wasn't new england it was california <laughs> um i was thinking about how these tactics could potentially be used by socialists mm-hmm. and it seems at first like oh direct mail or like what they do on social media with like directed advertising stuff like that could totally be used but then you realize first of all that it's like they're able to do this so well meaning like the new right and just right wing you know chuds because they had so much money right i mean it was just the money that made it possible so Mm -hmm. it's like yeah i don't know a lot of rich socialists but it would seem you know unless you have money and like yeah, the willingness isn't it like to work with basically you. a lot a lot of the narrative of this book that seems to be what i'm going to say over and over again the narrative <laughs> of this, one of the aspects of the narrative of this book is basically just how money and the right were able to buy in various ways uh, grassroots mobilization and movement kind of thing totally they, they built a an actual large uh real world existing social movement discipline very disciplined uh, very, yeah, 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 very over, disciplined yeah. social movement mm. um yeah and you think about the uh, it, it was a bit hilarious to me to think that like the, the great sort of like political science of the time was like having a mailing list <laughs> yeah you're just mailing people. <laughs> uh, to, you know, to <laughs> spread propaganda and get money out of people but it worked it worked, yeah. it worked particularly when you were when you were engaging people on a sort of like an issue that was going to spark their own. single issue yeah, 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 like yeah. just focus on one thing yeah. um, so i mean i think there i mean there's certain there are parallels like uh, the left can mobilize around mm. specific issues but as in everything i suppose the 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 weight of uh, power and um influence and effectivity are on the side of whoever has the greatest wealth exactly yeah. um and but, I, yeah. but yeah we have to find other things to deploy right like mm. um the left can accumulate large sums of money if it, it mm. needs to or it can um, it can find resources in other places. It can mobilize people. But I mean, like, yeah, I, I don't know how how parallel a um, example this is. But if you think of um, how effectively social media algorithms affect um, benefited the 2017 Labour Party campaign, hmm. because um, things that were popular were fed into other people's time 
finds. Oh, okay. You could kind of like um, you 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 weren't reliant on people sharing videos from Momentum or whoever to mm. have them spread. Mm. And basically, I think that the algorithm has been changed <laughs> by Facebook <laughs> so that the organic reach. But obviously, they're interested in having people pay for reach they don't sure. want or reach to happen organically kind of about any of those. um mm. but i wouldn't be surprised if there was somebody behind the scenes who was saying like but we can't have yeah. we can't have people be able to reach people in this way kind of thing we have well, to be able to control the reach or at least be the person who is able to sell people a certain who's the anti-semitism oh yeah of course yeah, they were yeah, just yeah. like we can't have them <laughs> sorry guys. um yeah richard spencer he can stay on but, yeah yeah exactly. I, don't, I, don't, I don't know whether he's on facebook um allegedly yeah um <laughs> So, yeah, one of the names that I bought up, Richard Vigory, is kind of like the guy whose name is, for better or for worse, tied with this idea of direct, direct mail, single issue, getting Reagan elected, basically. Um, and just kind of being like the godfather of direct mail. Mm. He would probably call it direct democracy, right? Getting people interested in just... Because basically what they would do is, you know, get a list of, like, all the NRA nerds or, like, all of the, like, you know, Anita Bryant, we hate gay people nerds, and, like, just mail them something about, like, Ronald Reagan also hates gay people, basically. <laughs> yeah, it's basically just tar- the best way to do targeted advertising. Kind yeah. Of so that guy, I'm just gonna we're just gonna linger on him just for a bit, and I would like to read what is like the second paragraph in his Wikipedia page, which is one of the best quotes I've ever come across. We're gonna break this down a little bit. Um, he's still alive, which is wild. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, add him to the list. Add him to the list. Yeah, um, my occasional check-ins. Yeah. <laughs> um. So it says, Vigory recalled what caused him to become political was, and then this is quoting him directly, was when MacArthur was fired, which let's break that down for a second. MacArthur was fired because he did not want to, he wanted to drop atomic bombs on Korea and China. That was like allegedly the reason he was fired. So that's. What was his role? He was. He, was he a, like a general. national secretary? Yeah. He was national like in charge. Yeah. yeah, he was in charge of, um, uh, well, he was like a military guy. Mm. So he was in charge of uh, Korea, the Korean War at the beginning um, and kind of got his ass kicked by China when they entered the war um, I believe and then the quote continues so that's what that's the first example he says as he became political because we didn't drop Drop 50 atomic bombs on Korea and Manchuria (laughs) Um, and then he goes on to say I was tremendously frustrated and outraged and mad as heck at Truman fair enough MacArthur and military men like him knew how to save lives, and they should get all of the peace prizes, not statesmen. Korea and all of Southeast Asia would have been different if we had followed MacArthur. Not going to argue with him there. That's very true. (laughs) What cemented, and then he kind of switches gear and he says, but what cemented my conservative philosophy was Joe McCarthy. I, as a young kid, I was reading and had read Bill Buckley and, you know, one or two other books. I believed in what McCarthy did. Even when he was inaccurate, he articulated the concern about a very big problem. And then this last bit, I 100% agree with. There are communists in this world, and that is not just a figment of a few right wingers imaginations so that bit where he says that he was a young kid reading bill buckley what a loser (laughs) what just an absolute just loser of a man first chud world's first chud yeah yeah anyway that was the guy um even though he's just a moron obviously having read that smart effing dude Uh he's uh i think quoted in this book as saying we outflanked the left on like every single way of political organizing wild Richard Vigory, ladies and gentlemen, what are you going to do? Um, yes, so then uh, Mike Davis goes on to talk a little bit about, um, again, exactly what you were saying, progressive trying to do something good, failing. Um, super PACs, political action committees. 
And he basically makes the point that super PACs were made ostensibly to limit the role of direct donations for just super wealthy people or just corporations, something like that. But what it really did was make it so that corporations to get what they wanted partnered directly with single issue um insane really well disciplined like right-wing groups like the you know like era people era nra people um like we were saying earlier pumped that full of money to get the people that they wanted elected yeah, and yeah. again just and a failure it, impossible to listen to any commentary on american politics now totally. particularly in the run to election and not mm-hmm. hear endlessly about mm-hmm. packs of various sort or other mm-hmm. uh, so yeah a continuing legacy that, and it's quite interesting he was saying that like um PACs existed before that 1974 legislation, but they were mm-hmm. basically used by trade unions and other sort of like uh, small campaigning organizations who yeah. didn't have necessarily the resources to mm. be funded by individuals, uh, but wanted to coordinate sort of campaigning on a sort of widespread grassroots level kind of thing. Mm. Um, I mean, it makes sense, and the, right? and the, I, I can understand. I mean, understand the desire of wanting to limit like people's ability to contribute vast sums and buy huge influence. Mm. Um, but as 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 packs developed, and how the the right found new ways to use them, it became as destructive, if even more destructive. You just you can basically just hide now how totally. your uh, where financing comes from, kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Wasn't there some stuff in the run up to one of the elections where like people were delaying declaring that they were running so that they could gather more money in packs? If you <laughs> declare your right. if you declare your willingness to run, then you'll you you then have an official campaign and your campaigning hmm. your campaign finances yeah. are much more heavily dictated on how you're allowed to operate. Worth. <laughs> I don't know. Again, don't that know. is just outflanking of uh, what Vigory calls the liberals. At every yeah. Turn. <laughs> yeah. 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 But it's interesting, like. In this, he talks quite. A, there's a section where he talks quite a lot about um, uh, the ways in which corporations were able to um, develop the concept of the pack, uh, mm. basically by um, imploring the people who worked for their corporations to sort of donate money in oh. particular ways, kind of thing. Management. Yeah. <laughs> Management. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At least my managers don't come and tell me who I'm to <laughs> yeah. donate money to. Yeah. I, no, I didn't really quite. I couldn't really quite work out what kind of corporations this was. Whether it was within yeah. management structures, mm. um, or whether it was in gen- more broad general workforces. I don't know. I would imagine management mm. structures or in in companies that are made up of people who are of a certain type of class. Yeah, the phrasing of that quote, not economically. Yeah, the phrasing of that quote also made it seem like too, where he was kind of like made it seem like they were like canvassing their workers. Yeah, 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 yeah. Which is wildly the right. Jeez. We might just be talking about the the workers at law firms and uh, PR corporations. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what else. San Francisco types. Um, Breweries. Breweries. (laughs) Yeah. so yeah, so basically he says, Mike Davis makes the point that all of these things um, kind of led up to a switching of the power base of the Republican Party in like a capital sense, of going from the like Eisenhower, like New England guys, Wall Street, you know, bad men, um, to Sunbelt bad men. <laughs> so like the growing economies of the Sunbelt, which Sunbelt's super vague, it's basically like everything like from Florida to California below San Francisco and below, like, I don't know, like the Carolinas, something mm-hmm. like that. So it's like Texas, Alabama, all the southern states, but also like Arizona, New Mexico, all that. Anywhere where it's sunny, I guess. Um, and he basically says that as economies in different sectors grew and expanded out of kind of the New England base and like the Chicago base, stuff like that, a lot of these um, 
were like defense contractors or like um he gives a list of some of the people's names that were in reagan's cabinets and like the different companies that worked for and they're just like the worst robber yeah, baron also, names yeah, yeah well, the names <laughs> the names but it's also awful. like all like raw resource extraction kind yeah. of thing mm. or brewing yeah brewing cores <laughs> Oof, yeah, I had no idea. I, I saw the name Cause, and I was like, I didn't even, I didn't even really read it. And I said, head of a Cal, um, uh, a uh, Colorado brewery, mm. the Baron or something. Mm. I went back and read the name. I said, like, oh, that Cause, yeah. okay. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, yeah, yeah. Who who deunionized de-uni- his uh, his his breweries after a long uh, yeah. long strike battle? Yeah. I don't know. I mean, it must be. It might not be unique to America, but. Um, exacerbated in america massively by virtue of its size and various geographical regions and also you can basically see the american economy developing over the 20th century and Mm -hmm. how there can be all these new um centers of power basically because it's so diverse and um geographically different and how much demography seems to play into this in a way which um i'm sure it does in other countries but in a very specific way in america like you could have these sort of various different factions of capital who um came together based on very specific interests of mm. one kind or another kind of thing because they were involved in certain types of industry because they had certain uh interest interests they a certain willingness to attach themselves some certain financing and attach themselves to other types of financing kind of thing um yeah it was just really fascinating to get that sort of like yeah. broad sense of what the american economy had been in the 20th century kind of thing yeah um, and he kind of like tries to like i said he was tying he's tying exactly what you're saying into like these specific economic conditions that bought all these factions of the bourgeoisie together against other factions of of capital basically yeah, yeah, yeah. It's I, really mean, interesting. I mean there's, there's a bit of sort of like table setting we could do i suppose mm-hmm. like um there he he's i mean he, he implies that there as jack was saying that there um has always been a core faction of american capital and then sort of various sort of peripheral um, contending sub-factions sure. kind of thing. Um, and that that core is always, had always been associated with uh, the East Coast mm. and banking kind of thing. Yeah. Beginning at the turn of the, the, the 20th century, uh, when um, so much money was to be made from European investment into American, the American economy kind of thing, that like a huge amount of power was accumulated by uh, East Coast bankers um, because um, because so much of the development of American industry was dependent on European investment that that, that channel was um, uh, so incredibly powerful. Um, and he talks about the first contenders to that seat of power being the Rockefellers. Sure. Um, basically because they had access to their own because they were royal barons, they mm. had access to their own uh, financial sort of uh, capacities and investments. Completely independent, yeah, 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 capital yeah. pool, yeah. Um, but I, but as the twentieth century, but but the other big caveat to put on this whole sort of broad thing is like the the sheer influence of the New Deal. I suppose the 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 the, the that the, the the FDR legacy post uh, twenty nine, whenever he was elected thirty, mm. um, all the way through to like and then also the significant influence of the second world war really sort of like solidified um american capital behind one very specific way of doing things so you had quite a united uh, capitalist class um quite well significantly committed to 
uh, the New Deal sort of welfare spending policies. But like for people that don't know, like the New Deal policies were designed to reinvigorate the American economy. You might have to correct me when I go go off the rails a bit. But like, but like yeah, revivify the American economy after the Wall Street crash of 29 and included um, lots of jobs programs, but also quite a lot of like uh, welfare programs that were also like universally applied as well mm. and continued to be incredibly popular. I mean, it, there are parallels to the UK, right? Like, sure. And the post 45 government here. But also, like, I just really quickly also like big restrictions on like the huge power of the financial classes. The, sure. So yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Glass Steagall, yeah. things like that, that kind of limited the power of Wall Street. Guys yeah, I mean, that was one of the significant exploit. ways in which that original sort of like. Um, uh, ascendant uh, faction of capitalism the one associated with like uh, rentier investment mm. in the american economy was uh, their power was severely diminished by uh, the restrictions that were put in place after the wall street crash which like limited the behavior of bankers which obviously resulted in um, that economic collapse kind of thing totally um but it but it's then set against this kind of like uh, monolithic consensus you have like various sort of like fringe uh right-wing groups who are sort of like trying to rally their forces mm. um a sort of effort which does eventually sort of result in in reaganism in reaganism so baby. That's, that's my effort to sort of like set the basic narrative yeah like no the totally. trajectory of yeah. uh where we're heading kind of thing yeah no very well done um, because i mean it is about this new it is always interesting reading about like new contending classes within the bourgeoisie. That's sure. like, wait a minute, I thought they were all bourgeoisie. Yeah, I thought yeah, it was all yeah, two all factions. Classes. Yeah, yeah, factions yeah. of the class kind of thing. Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's difficult in this way because there's, there's there's various splits between like um, political aspiration and uh, economic aspiration, and the two kind of contend. Mm. Um, uh, so there's there's early on in the 30s, one of the standard bearers of um, of the right was this guy Taft, who yeah. was uh, who ran attempted to be to run for president i don't think he ever successfully he was to president taft's son i i see big, okay, I did big fat guy's son moderately fat guy um but like the, the basic tenet of his, his policy was sort of nationalistic but also um a kind of like willingness or desire to extend american manifest destiny into the caribbean and into asia kind of thing mm. so there you've got this kind of split between uh, where your commitments are. This is happening in the run-up to world, the world into World War Two, right? Where mm. America was going to end up having this big, big process of involvement and investment in Western Europe, kind of thing. Yeah. So then you get these these sort of factions who are like um, split along uh, political lines of like uh, how to do foreign policy, uh, whether to sort of like to some nominal extent like retreat within American borders or sort of mm. like be expansionist in some way. Um, and a lot of ta- Taftism uh, yeah. was about sort of like uh, America first to some degree, but then a sort of like uh, eastward looking rather than a sort of like westward looking yeah, and I think, front kind of thing. Uh, uh, yeah. And which, something which sort of like thoroughly dissolved after the events of World War Two and mm. um, and uh, Truman's uh, investment in Western Europe, basically to attempt to limit the spread of communism, right? Yeah, um, yeah. Which which grew gained tacit support from the right, but. Mm. Um, eventually they split with that as well yeah it's interesting you're totally right but at a certain point it's funny because davis almost seems like he's trying to paint taft as a predecessor to goldwater sure right but it's interesting because yeah taft was very much like a fortress america we put america first and it's so funny because it's like you really have to look at like the material basis for why he was doing that he was in the midwest where there were a lot of german um like german ancestry people or just like first generation german immigrants right and 
the reason a lot of them switched from being like ardent new dealers to this like populist brand of taftism right-wing chuttery was because like he was basically being like let's stay out of stay out of europe who cares let's uh-huh. not worry yeah, about yeah, europe yeah, yeah. and they're like Haha, yeah don't worry about europe mm-hmm. might have been kind of like pro you know they're germans mm-hmm. um but yeah it was really interesting but also kind of represents, represented spe- specific factions of like midwestern banking and totally. midwestern industry which had uh, basically also had no economic stock with like mm-hmm what the east coast elites wanted to do so it's interesting it's interesting what what we can learn from this i guess is that we need to look for a mixture of factors factors which are both they're both material totally, right totally. but sometimes they're sort of like socio-cultural and sometimes mm. they're uh, economic and the, the two sort of yeah play together and i mean he must have run some insanely good campaigns to make the base that he did mm. this like anti-new deal base in the midwest it's like how did he do yeah, that yeah, 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 um yeah. Possibly there's something to learn from him there. A lot of it was kind of demagoguery on like a possibly racist level. And like Fortress America is always like a little like, okay, what are you talking about there? But also it's like you're saying expansionism into the East. Um, Really interesting. I knew nothing about him before this. Yeah, I I knew the name, but like, yeah. yeah. It's been, what's been one of the most fascinating things about this book is to take a lot of names and really put them in proper historical context. Because even American presidents, I know them, I don't even know which parties they're represented sometimes. I had to look through them like, the yeah. what Ford, okay, and then yeah. Johnson was it or something? Or like, yeah. I don't know. Like, I was reading about. I know, um, I know who LBJ was, but like <laughs> in the seventies, in the seventies, I was just like, I was reading about of, um, which, and who was all their vice presidents, and yeah. who was running at what, who who were the who were the factional opponents within the Republican Party contending for the yeah. for the the um, nomination to be the president. Yeah. Blah, 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 you know what's wild, and that we never talk about is how McKinley was assassinated when he was president by an anarchist it's like <laughs> what what was that period of american history when was it when was that that was Turn the, the century. century okay yeah, okay, yeah. okay okay um yeah. total robber baron republican and apparently the guy i was reading about him the guy who like assassinated him was like very inspired by emma goldman which i think is so nice, funny nice, nice, nice. Yeah. um classic uh, anarchists <laughs> and apparently that's like how teddy roosevelt kind of like one of the reasons he got elected was because he was like um we need to crush anarchism before we do anything else. Like, anarchists, <laughs> guys, come on. Um, Imagine anarchism having that sort of like yeah. Yeah. material significance I know. kind of thing. Like, I mean, it's, it's deployed rhetorically now yeah. to some extent, oh, totally. like, as a sort of bugaboo, but like. Yeah. I mean, apparently but anarchists. But then communism would say, oh, really, sure. like, yeah. at least they were scared of a real thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they killed a the president yeah, yeah. for seemingly no real reason. But, uh, well. <laughs> Not I'm sure it was a piece of work. Yeah, <laughs> Allegedly. Yeah. Allegedly. <laughs> Apparently anarchists blew up the LA Times building a couple times, which I think is classic. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, cool. Don't know where that right went. On. Don't <laughs> know what happened with that, but um, yeah, what are you going to do? Should we move on to talking about our boy, the absolute man himself, Barry, Barry Goldwater. Goldwater. <laughs> what a dude. So we all know Goldwater, or might not, Goldwater ran on just like what a lot of people thought was an insane platform of like let's just effing nuke china dude let's just do it let's just bomb everybody uh-huh. um i did not know that i didn't know that was good <laughs> i mean yeah well yeah, yeah, yeah. he was uh very liked war um didn't like communism insane man and i think kind of like one reason in like american lore of politics um that he lost was there was just like one ad where it was just a picture of like the proverbial nuke button and it was like do you really want Barry I mean, water it, it makes sense because oh <laughs> i mean it makes sense because in the con- uh, in the context of this book um we hear that the the right was very on board with sort of trumanite um uh mm. 
economic intervention and development in Western Europe to stem the spread of communism up until the point when there was the, the Chinese Revolution. Sure, and, sure. Uh, I guess Truman or whoever was president at the time nominally acquiesced to that kind of thing. Mm. Um, when so we lost China, when we yeah yeah, yeah that great <laughs> betrayal. So when um, so so to have like nuke China nuke be China. be the policy. I mean, that could, that could be Donald Trump, couldn't it? <laughs> totally, the China virus. So, yeah, to to have that be a sort of a, a central tenant in your campaign would make sense in that context, kind of thing. Mm. Um, how, how classic was it when they were talking about how? Uh, so Davis kind of paints one of the reasons that Goldwater lost was because he was way too financially conservative to win anywhere yeah, that he needed yeah, to win. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so like the two examples he gives, I cracked up so hard when I read this, was they were like, everyone would have voted for him in like Appalachia and in Florida, but in Appalachia, he was like really anti like poverty. And like in Florida, he was really anti social security for old people. It's like, okay, none <laughs> yeah, of the people for him. in the poorest the part terrible. of the country and the oldest part of the country. Yeah, it's like, yeah, good yeah. job. Goldwater. I mean, he, yeah, I mean, <laughs> what um, Davis paints his campaign as being basically predicated on two core tenants. One is a familiar strategy, the Southern strategy. Sure. Uh, which was designed to um, speak to spark the resentment of like. Uh, southern whites against the the sort of growing movement towards uh, civil rights yeah. <laughs> and the Christ. other one was a was a belief in there being a sort of like um hidden majority in the north who was uh, secretly republican. secretly sort of conservative and republican mm-hmm. and it was that it was that aspect which fell apart then quite a lot <laughs> basically because um uh yeah basically as you were saying like he attacked uh elements of the new deal which were still incredibly popular and this is what yeah. we're saying before like the legacy of the new deal hangs really large I suppose, mm, over totally. the all of these events kind of thing mm. and all, all of the efforts of the american right really were to maneuver and um escape its shadow kind of thing mm. um barry goldwater incredibly unsuccessful <laughs> um it was a total sh- uh, what so what yeah what was it happened he um nixon ran in 60 against mm. kennedy and lost mm. yeah um and the right the, the, what what was going to begin um davis basically dates the the sort of like the the origins of the this this phenomenon of the new right in the late 50s early 60s mm. so sort of like that uh nixon campaign right smack bang in the middle of it kind of thing mm. um and i think the right had quite a lot of high hopes for nixon and uh considered him to be having betrayed them basically he allied with the traditional um economic eastern establishment kind of thing the bank totally. establishment um and also um took certain policies in the in the far east mm. um which were i don't know galling a ga- galling, galling indeed to two, a- two certain two certain factions of the mo- the most frothing at the mouth um, mm. elements in the Republican Party kind of thing yeah. so this is why um, so basically Barry Goldwater was able to uh, win the nomination to be the Republican candidate to be president in 64 mm. basically under this context of like um, huge dissatisfaction with the uh, why with not the present the, the present establishment of the Republican Party mm. um, does it sound familiar yeah. to anyone? <laughs> Wait, there was a thing. There was a bit in 2016 before Trump won. There was a lot of parallels made between him and Goldwater, and the fear was like Trump's not going to win, but whatever comes along behind after him. Yeah. In the in the ways that the Reagan campaign learnt 
basically the, so many of the people who uh, ushered uh, Reagan to power in 80 cut their teeth on this campaign in 64 kind of thing so sure. much was learned so much of the tactics were developed um, they only needed sort of minor modification that we'll get onto in a minute which made them palatable to the American populace kind of thing mm. before Trump won they were all like okay what is Trump the sort of red flag that's for what that is coming down the line kind of thing yeah. now a lot of that was lost because he actually won yeah, <laughs> yeah. but 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 the idea of somebody sort of swooping in from the wings taking over a political party under the context of like huge dissatisfaction in the populace in general and in the base of that the Republican political party is Trump a blockist? It's, it's not new yeah <laughs> dun, dun, dun. Vanguard party uh not really um but yeah, Goldwater, as you say, incredibly unsuccessful. Yeah, yeah, he yeah, just yeah. Misread uh, like, the move. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, the Southern strategy is successful. He won. The, totally. the states that he won were all in the South. Mm. Um, uh, uh, Lyndon B. Johnson given a massive majority. Yeah. In '64. Yeah. Um, totally tranced. Yeah. Goldwater. Ooh. But. But. Yeah. The new right did not die there. No. And in fact, it would win. Just a couple of years, yeah, a couple yeah, elections yeah, later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, yeah, you were hinting at it. But um, <clears throat> basically, the next stage of the new right was, obviously, we get to like Nixon and stuff and his southern strategy and all that. Nixon would win and blah, blah, blah. He's out. A couple more Democrats. Get to Reagan. Reagan was like, Americans are racist. We can see that. Quite a few of them. I can use that. I'll use it as Goldwater did. Anti-busing, as we were saying. Uh, homophobia. Um <laughs> misogyny, all of the classic hits. Mm -hmm. We'll do all that, but we'll make it seem like we're a financially progressive, maybe not progressive, but like we'll lower your taxes is basically what he was sure, saying. Yeah, that was yeah, like yeah. his big thing. We're yeah, going to yeah. lower your taxes, baby. And lo and behold, all those states that LBJ had won with just that classic little tweak of taxes and uh, uh, I'm Ronald Reagan, a very charismatic man. I'm just a home country American. Um, he would win. God yeah, damn it, yeah, California, yeah. you did it again. Yeah, because because it, it was it was um, another ballot initiative in California, which um, Californians were con con convinced to vote for, which presumably was against was in favor of cutting taxes, right? Mm. Yeah. Uh, and it was realized that there was probably this massive majority. You could spin it in a certain way, right? I didn't quite understand, but presumably, given that it's quite a classic tale, mm. you you suggest that by cutting taxes, you can uh, invigorate economic activity because you mm. sort of set the producers. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Oof. You, you give them free reign to invest properly. I don't know. I'm not even going to say it because it's sure. just too cliche. Sure, 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 uh, sure, sure, sure. You know what I mean. <laughs> yeah. And also just the uh, imagine people acting in their best economic interests. Wow, what a concept yeah. of just paying less taxes. Same. Yeah, 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 yeah. Read my lips, as another classic Republican president would say. No new taxes. Yeah. Um, but yeah, ba but my, my understanding was that basically what happened was they, they realized that they were onto a loser by attacking... Um, <laughs> The New Deal policies, right? But there was another thing that they could use to appeal to the, the sort of northern um, sort of like they could. They, it, if it didn't Aggression. exist already, they could they could develop a uh, minority, well, a, a, seek, a silent majority mm. in favor of conservatism, not based on uh, economic orthodoxy, but based on cultural issues in a lot of ways. Mm. Um, it, it talks about um, the use of. Um, basically the deployment of anti-elitism yeah uh, attacking sort of coastal elites mm. attacking um, 
university campus elites and the sort mm-hmm. of intelligentsia kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, Those Berkeley boys. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's such familiar language now, but like, you know, <laughs> totally. th- this is where it has its antecedents, right? In yeah. that period between the defeat in 64 and the victory in 80, I mean, it, most of what was the work that was done was in the 70s, the late 70s kind of thing, mm. um, to sort of like take this campaigning apparatus which had been deployed by Goldwater because like one of the things that we didn't really talk about was he really did um, he created a huge campaigning apparatus kind of thing around lots of these technologies that we've already alluded to the the sort of the direct mail the sort of fixation on um, single issues in some Mm. respects kind of thing Um, so tactically all of that stuff was already beginning to develop developed it was just the question of the messaging Mm. and what happened in that intervening period was this sort of from a strategic standpoint it was this change in uh, the messaging yeah now they were also um there were also um economic things that were going on kind of thing totally oh of course Um, i mean also let's not discount the october surprise which was where you know the the hostages under carter in iran and then like you know, oh, they're never going to release them. And then they released them literally as Reagan was getting sworn in. Reagan, what a cool dude. Wow. God damn it, Carter. Um, so, yeah, yeah obviously yeah, a bunch yeah. of other things. So there was, but... the, there was, the, there was the, mm. the Iranian hostage crisis in mm. 79, 80. Mm. Um, also, what, what I found very interesting was how he... Ref- I mean, he, a lot of it was the, the reference he makes to stagflation. Sure. And what that was doing to the American economy, right? How mm-hmm. it was dividing it uh, rather than a economic downturn resulting in a sort of lowering of all boats, just mm. corrupt a libertarian sort of like uh, piece of phraseology. Um, instead, what was happening was certain industries were being um, were surviving and being buoyed up, and other ones were defeated. Were other people, so certain people were being impoverished and certain mm. people were managing to maintain their standard of living. Mm. And in that context, what you, you can sort of divide a populace along those lines, right? Totally. And if you if you can then uh, gain rally and gain support from those people who were doing reasonably well, mm. you can build yourself, at least in the north, kind of like a electoral majority that was necessary to win kind of thing. So mm. I think so I think it's it's those people who were surviving the economic um malaise downturn of the late 70s early 80s who were then susceptible to this new type of messaging around sort of anti-elitism mm. but then also like the sort of like more or less failed racisms of various sorts um, mm. Mm. yeah your your traditional sort of moral moral majority voter yeah kind of thing. Yeah, um, I'll read a quote because that's exa- you're basically going to sum up the exact quote that I'm going to read. Um, but I think this is really important to hit home this idea of like what the Reagan campaign did to exploit classes and class interests, yeah. right? So Davis kind of starts this quote off by saying how much wages changed. So he said in the 1970s, for instance, the wage differential, not including supplementals, between steel workers and apparel workers virtually doubled, or in absolute terms, where the difference in their wages in 1973 was $83, in 1980 it was 277 This has led some analysts to go as far as to suggest the existence of a tent, tent, tendent, tendench, I'll put that in later. Brazilian is Brazilian. <laughs> I can't even say this word. Brazilianization. Brazilianization. <laughs> thank you. Of the American social structure as it polarizes not only between classes, but within classes to create opposing camps of inflationary haves and have nots. The consequent, the consequent, Jesus Christ, the consequent fragmentation of the 
class structure facilitated the recomposition of politics around the selfishly, selfishly survivalist axis favored by the new right. The complexity of the restratification of the working class has aggravated the tendency in American politics for class issues to become lost in a welter of sectoral and stratum divisions. This, in turn, has helped promote a politics that is not only more than usually self-interested and short-sighted, but also centered increasingly on a narrow range of social issues, especially those of home and family. Where relative prosperity or impoverishment may hang on the timing of a house purchase or the fact of working in, say, the aerospace rather than the auto industry or having been born in 1940 rather than 1950, the sense of commonality and of experience and needs disintegrates. Um, there it is. Mm -hmm. Again, mm -hmm. that's just what we're saying. These dudes just outplayed liberals at every turn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, down yeah, to just like such a yeah, crazy economic, basis. economic events laid the groundwork for this sort of fissure to develop. Mm -hmm. but it's interesting that, like, um, talking about whether you're born in the fifties or sixties, mm -hmm. when you whether you, I mean, I don't know, did, when you, don't know how specifically talks about house ownership, but mm -hmm. like whether you own a house or not, mm -hmm. what sectors you work in, kind of thing. Um, I mean, it feels quite reminiscent of some of the ways that sort of like the working class is divided in 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 the UK at the moment between totally. like a sort of like slightly more established older generation who sort of owns property kind of thing mm. um, who's been given certain advantages by political activity but also by sort of economic development kind of thing um, mm. there isn't there isn't any anything if you if you basically took that quote and sort of like recast it in um, in the in the guise in the light of a division of age sure. you'd quite have you'd have quite a good analogue for the state of play in this country at the moment yeah which is yeah. quite fascinating to me I think. fascinating and a bummer mm -hmm. moment. Um, mm -hmm. and so then yes we would get reagan and reagan would do his best or the people around him would do their best to thoroughly deconstruct the new deal as it was as what was left of it and that's what we're left with now mm -hmm. interestingly enough because he basically oh okay hang on there's another zinger right in the intro that i gotta read where he says um, in 1980, this is the first sentence, the worst nightmares of the American left appeared to come true. Like some shaggy beast of the apocalypse, Reaganism hunkered out of the sunbelt, devouring liberal senators and great society programs in the path, in its path. With the 40th president's popularity seemingly immune to the misfortunes of his regime, most surviving liberals soon abandoned any pretense of opposition, becoming a tame fringe bordering the administration's solid center of welfare cutting and military spending. Mm -hmm. So that's mm -hmm. kind of what we're left with, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, it's, I mean, it's very similar to how um, the how New Labour acquiesced to the changes that were made by Thatcherism, like yeah. the sort of Clinton Democrats. Um, operating very much in the, the wake of Reaganism kind of thing. Um, yeah. The, yeah. The, the, the neoliberal era was born. We did it. Yes. We ushered in it. Oh, it's, it's a liberal. The liberals won. <laughs> Probably fine. We did it. We did it. The liberals won, ladies and gentlemen. They got what they wanted. Uh, that's actually not sarcasm. Um, I have a question, actually, sure. directed at you. Mm -hmm. um, so I hear a lot in generally like guardian pieces about and I, again i have no idea whether this is true or not that's why i'm asking you about like the stratification of like a, the bourgeoisie class in relation to brexit mm -hmm. and about how it's like it has a lot to do with like one faction just trying to get its way and there's usually like a picture of rupert murdoch and like 
to kind of like illustrate that point of like not all boards from C are like this. Um, what's your take on that? Is that true, or is that kind of a liberal? I, I mean, I've come, I've come to believe it the case, and I might have said it on one of these podcasts before mm. um, that it did seem to me. I think actually in the in the the episode one when we did when uh, we talked about um, Miliband and class, um, one of the present divisions in the British capitalist class was between. Um, capitalists engage in actual sort of industrial production who are mm. reliant on and who need to trade um across borders kind of thing sure. who are um who have a material necessity in being able to trade freely with europe and then also to benefit from labor from europe mm. probably much more pro-european union anti-brexit mm. and then you've got this sort of faction of like um uh banking capital who um for some reason or other, I've not really worked out why they're so committed to why they would be so committed to um, to Brexit. Perhaps because their banking activities are constrained in some way by European regulation. Whether they were much more committed to uh, American or mm. South Asian or something different markets kind of thing, mm. um, and would like to dis- disengage from um, from Europe. Mm, but I, sure. I, I, we, we, we should look into it more. We should look into that mm, before yes. we talk about that. <laughs> before we try and talk about it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but uh, yeah, no, yeah, no. I think there is truth. There is some truth in it. Sure. Um, yeah. Yeah. Don't know how we can use that. Mm. What we can do with it. Yeah, I know. I know. We have all this information. What are we going to do with it? <laughs> um, so, yeah, thus began and ends the era of Reagan. Um, not virtuous, I found out. Yes, that's yeah. what we've discovered. Discovered he was wasn't discovered. actually very We're virtuous. Not, there isn't there isn't a um I do not miss Reagan. A great return mm. to uh normalcy. Mm. Republican normalcy. Yeah. I will say he was basically only in crappy B movies. Like he was much like Trump was a failed businessman turned reality TV star. He was just like a not a failed actor, but like only in bad movies. Except one of the greatest movies of all time, certainly I think the best acting performance of all time. Not his, Betty Davis. Dark Victory. He's in it. He has a minor role. Look it up. It's classic. You see Reagan, you laugh because he has like a couple lines. Uh, very good. Very, very good. Uh-huh. One of those kind of like, is that Ronald Reagan? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Literally. Because he's like acting as like kind of like the like pretty, pretty boy, like a uh, wealthy guy trying yeah, to like yeah, seduce yeah, Betty Davis. Yeah. Whereas like Humphrey Bogart yeah. is like the cool, like yeah. rough manly man. Well, it's quite interesting. He wasn't, he, he seemingly wasn't even the new rights favored candidate in 80. Mm. Like it seemed like what won him the, um, the nomination was this connection to like, he, he was, he was popular with people. Kind of yeah. Thing. Yeah. Um, he wasn't the anointed candidate necessarily. Mm, mm. Yeah, that was kind of a bit that we didn't get into too much. Was like the uh, bit about like factions the, going yeah, directly into one... primaries to try and get their candidates. Uh huh. The yeah, ground. yeah. I mean, yeah. The, a lot, <laughs> yeah, a lot of the machinations of this this sort of like mm. uh, this period of American politics were um, the various factions of capital and who were their favored candidates in the various um, uh, nomination battles that were happening for each. Each yeah. presidency kind of thing. I mean, the other thing we haven't really talked about that I thought was really quite interesting. I don't know how much you want to get into it. Maybe we can cut mm. it off. Is um, <laughs> it's the sort of like internal what 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 it was that brought together various certain sections of capital into one which uh, ushered in Reaganism kind of thing. Mm. I thought there were cert- there were certain interesting things that were um, that were that united various sort of capitalists. Yeah, classes. Um, one was, uh, I mean, basically, basically, these people are from what Jack's what's described as the Sun Belt. Mm. Um, 
uh, a lot of new industries happening there. One's related to aerospace. Mm. One's related to defense contracting mm. in yeah, a lot Denver, of ways. LA. Um, but in particular, it was very, um, very labor intensive. Totally. Um, and so a lot of these people had a huge commitment to anti-union legislation. One of the things Absolutely. that united them was a real desire to like um, destroy unionism mm. kind of thing unionism um and I'm, i mean the legacy of that continues today in so many of these southern states there's so many like really draconian laws against even being able to unionize absolutely um so that was one of the things that united them i thought it was quite interesting um rather than sort of the eastern establishment a lot of them were uh sort of single family businesses yeah, kind of thing really and there was this sense in which like um they wanted to maintain they wanted to maintain this control. sense of like yeah family control so i suppose so may, maybe it was a fear that um by uh financializing their businesses in some way they might lose familial control over the businesses yeah. kind of thing uh, i wonder what the resonance is between that commitment and sort of like the general um uh, the sort of like family values narrative mm. or the sort of like appeal that they I mean they were they were appealing to a strata of American society which was not like um, bourgeois capitalist but might have yeah. been like petty bourgeois small shopkeeper sort yeah. of like strata um, so that's probably one of the reasons why that messaging um, mm. was sort of sought after and uh promoted kind of thing yeah um just because you know i gotta do it i'm gonna read a list of some of these freaks that were in <laughs> reagan's cabinet's names okay get right, ready just, for, just for the names just get ready names. of course these are their some names. classic names a partial inventory of the leading backers of the new right including members of reagan's kitchen cabinet it's oh, <sighs> disgusting <laughs> it is revealing oil explo exploitation Exploration, Henry Salvatore, Leon Hess, Ed Noble, Norton Simon, J. Robert Fluor, not Flower, Fluor, Baron Hilton, Walter, J Walter Knott, J. Willard Marriott, Jack Rather, William Wilson, William French Smith. He says Irvine Corporation. I'm going to assume that's not someone's name. If it is, that's insane. <laughs> <laughs> Theodore Cummins, Roger Milliken, Holmes Tuttle, which shut up. Holmes Your name is not Holmes Tuttle. <laughs> Coors, uh, Justin Dart, etc., etc., etc. If your name is Holmes Tuttle, you're on the list. Yeah. I'm sorry, you're on the list. Um, absolute freaks, absolute uh -huh, freaks. Uh -huh, uh -huh. Yeah. And what was that? Yeah. What was that? Um, uh, resource extraction, aerospace. Yeah. Brewing. Brewing. The brewers. Coors. <laughs> Bastards. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Agribusiness, real estate, tourism, recreation, construction. Um, so as these cities grew, these were the businesses. Sure, that yeah. So this is what them. we're coming back to, the sort of like mm. uh, growth of America, mm. uh, creating these other financial centers and um, regions of the country that were heavily dependent on certain industries. And those mm. certain industries sort of had particular interests that were set against uh, sort of like the interests of the more established capitalist class kind of thing. Yeah. It was those interests that they compelled them to mm. try and get their man in the White House kind of thing. Their man. They got him. And, they, they and many more after that. They succeeded. They, they succeeded. succeeded. Well, we read the first sentence. Should we read the last sentence? Because it yeah. is... It's another, another, another downbeat. I was it about is, to say Zynga, but it's a bit, it's a bit it's downbeat. A, isn't it? it is. It's a Zingo. Um, <laughs> where should I start with this? He says, several years ago, the United Auto Workers the UAW, organized a conference to explore the prospects of a new progressive alliance based on labor, minorities, and women. 
Little or nothing came of this initiative. Indeed, it was probably almost a decade too late to resurrect successfully the New Deal coalition. It is chastening to recall Irving Howe's warning in 1964 that the failure of the labor movement strong to strongly ally itself with blacks was enabling the new right to enter its takeoff phase. 17 years later, it landed. Mm-hmm. Dun, dun, dun. And that ends that chapter. Essay. Shame. For shame, America. For shame. <laughs> um, and so then, yeah, I mean, I don't know. Maybe eventually we'll come back to some more essays in this book. book. It's yeah. a good one just to kind of... Uh, do a bit from the next one's called political economy of late imperial america sad maybe a little bit optimistic and then the next one is reaganomics magical mystery tour <laughs> and then you should read the, that just for the title i know <laughs> and then the lesser evil the left the democrats in 1984 nice nice i'm glad we read that i've yeah. read a lot yeah it's put a lot of uh pieces on the board mm. things in play California. Set my brain at work um, felt like quite a nice follow-up to the to episode one when we were talking about class because this totally. was a, sort of like a, so much of this was uh, actually detailed analysis of mm. specific class Case study, the book yeah. is detailed analysis i don't know how detailed analysis how uh, detailed mm. our analysis has been but uh, <laughs> yeah it's a specific case study um totally one very pertinent to our times as well obviously exactly yeah, 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 yeah. um yeah good to read some just straight history um and yeah, I think the, the it's fun. Yeah, I think you're right. The Miliband really does complement this very well yeah. because it is a very, uh, you know, don't take these big overarching opinions. Class analysis, folks. Class analysis, folks. We're doing yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With a heavy, heavy dollop of um, demography mm. and sort of materialist economic analysis. Yeah. yeah, it's the stuff of history. Stuff this of is, history, this folks. Is, this is where it all comes from. Yeah, I might have to cut this. But I have an idea for our next episode, continuing the California theme. Okay, do I'll leave it at that. If we don't wind up, oh, doing I see, it, I see, I see. Ignore okay. what I just said. Uh, then slash, it, it'll be cut. Yeah, be... <laughs> but yes. Yeah, you want to read a, a read a piece written by a certain local. <laughs> by a local. Alum. Alum. No, uh, no, 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 no. Something about um, certain ideologies to come from California. Yeah, that's what I mean. But, like anyway, yeah. Mm. We are talking about the same piece. Oh, we are. Okay. Yeah. Good. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I see. Oh, I thought you were talking about locals in terms of California. Now. I oh no, 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 no. Uh, yes. Yeah. This is absurd. Yes. This, this is has absurd. got to stay in just for its absurdity. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway. This is, yeah, the, <laughs> we did it. We're trying to have a secret conversation yeah. without the listener hearing. And we're just both confused. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> have you making some progress with the book as well? The book. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yes, the book. Yeah. He, having fun, having fun. It complements this very well. Yeah, yeah. I was having some difficulty. Yeah, so I'm still in an earlier period. I'm still at the end of the First World War. So it's still. Talking about like, the Nazis. FDR may have just started. Yeah, the Nazis. Oh, Nazis. oh dear. You'll be surprised to know if Dan and I ever talk about this books. Americans had similar incentives to work with the Nazis. Yeah, the Nazis yeah, did to work with America. What yeah, yeah. is that real? Yeah. No way. And I, sum- I surmise a similar kind of. I was thinking in like 1930, 1935. Mm. If you could assess the sort of base level amount of anti-Semitism in both countries, <laughs> probably the same. Probably the same. America just doesn't. That is, and, and the UK. I mean, it's, it's worldwide. I mean, sure. like, I'm not. not I'm not. I'm not uh, yeah, I'm not suggesting there's anything particularly bad about America. Yeah. Or it was like it, yeah. it and rising Nazi Germany were yeah. the two aberrations. It's just, I mean, the town that we live in has a stone commemorating where Jewish people used to live before the government of this country threw them all out. <laughs> one of the many times that they have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So uh, yeah. classic. Um. Yes. Are we done? 
we can be done. I think we could. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's, it's been a very good episode. We've covered it. We did. Better, please. Um, yes. So we'll be back next week with something maybe that goes off on this, and that'll be great. And hopefully we'll have more Broadbean news, and we'll have more weather updates, and it'll be great. Yeah. This has been <laughs> this has been auxiliary statements. I'm Jack. I'm Dan. Thank you for listening. Thank you so much. See you next time. The music you heard this episode was music to kill bad people too by King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard. If you like this song, you can check it out and much, much more on their Bandcamp at kinggizzard.bandcamp.com. Be sure and follow us up on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And if you like what you heard, be sure and tune in next week for some more commie discussion. Till next time. Yeah.